Well, this morning, I want to continue on in our series we've been speaking about for the past few weeks on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're, we've been talking about fruit, and we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we're going to continue speaking about that today. But let's read Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 that tells us what the fruit is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now remember, we're talking about the fruit here, not the gifts. We're talking about the fruit. Fruit grows. Fruit ripens. Gifts are given. The point of importance there is that the gifts are most effectively handled when used by mature, fruit-bearing Christians. God gives gifts like we give gifts to people of all ages. A gift doesn't demand, it doesn't prove maturity at all. We give gifts to babies that are immature. We give gifts to older people. All, everyone likes to receive a gift. But the fruit of the Spirit is not a gift. The fruit of the Spirit is like a vegetable or a fruit or a cluster of grapes. It takes time for the fruit to grow and mature and ripen. And there's a reason for that. And that's why, that's why these characteristics that we're talking about are called fruit. Why? Because fruit does a couple different things. Number one, fruit identifies the type of tree that's producing it. Fruit is an identifier. You look at an apple tree, you look at the apples hanging on a tree, and you say, that's an apple tree. It's very easy to make that declaration. You don't have to be spiritually discerning. <laughs> you just go look at the apple on the tree and say, that's an apple tree, or that's a cherry tree, or that's an orange tree. It's a natural occurrence for that tree to make apples. It's naturally what that tree does. It would be unnatural for that tree to make an orange. It wouldn't happen unless you had some unnatural occurrence there. Therefore, one can identify the tree by the fruit that is hanging on the branches. That's number one. Fruit identifies the type of tree that's producing it. Number two, fruit is something produced for a purpose of nourishment and reproduction. Ripened fruit nourishes everything that eats it. Uh, uh, if I pick the apple, I eat it, I'm nourished. If that apple falls on the ground and a deer comes along and eats that fruit on the ground, it's nourished. Fruit has a purpose for nourishing other things. Fruit also has a purpose of reproducing itself. The seeds in that apple, Johnny Appleseed, the seeds in that apple, when they fall to the ground and that apple rot, rots and that tree and that seed falls in the ground naturally or planted either way it produces another apple tree it produces of its own kind so fruit identifies the type of tree and fruit is something that is used to nourish other things and it reproduces itself now how does this apply to the Christian life why is it so important then that the fruit of the spirit is identified as fruit well first of all like in nature, the fruit that is produced by a tree identifies the type of tree it is. Likewise, the fruit of a man's life identifies the type of man he is. A man may want to be something that he isn't. And he may profess anything he wants to. But if you're around that man long enough, if you listen to that man speak long enough, if you watch that man 
live his life long enough, you will find the true fruit that that man is. Fruit of a man identifies if that man is a godly man or an ungodly man. You might be able to be a poser for a while. You may be able to look like an apple tree when you're really an orange tree for a while. But when the fruit grows, all of a sudden the true, the true you is going to come out. What's in the heart is going to come out of the mouth. The fruit of a man is identified by the fruit of the man and not by what he claims to be. Secondly, a spiritually mature person with mature fruit in his life nourishes those around him. You go into a dark world and a man that is full of the Holy Spirit and operating and living in the fruit of the Spirit, he's a nourishment to a lost world. There are a lot of hungry people in the world. Do you know that? They may not recognize hunger as spiritual hunger, but when they're seeking things like alcohol and drugs and sex and pornography and all these other things, they're really hungry people. They just don't know what they're hungry for. And so, like Michael had an opportunity to share at the beginning of service, when you walk into a man's life that is hungry, he may not recognize he's hungry for spiritual things, but when you as a spiritual man full of the Spirit and mature in the Spirit walk into him and he starts feeding off of your apples, you're going to nourish that man and he's going to be drawn to the things of God because of God flowing through you. You're nourishing the dark world. You're nourishing a hungry people. And then from that comes reproduction. It won't be long until that man says, I want what you have. What is it that you, what makes you so special? Well, it's not because you have a great personality, because you probably don't. <laughs> and you certainly aren't very good looking either. But you have the fruit of the Spirit within you. And the fruit of the Spirit is what, is what draws the man. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus was not anything to look at. Do you, do you recognize that? We have the pictures, we have the paintings of Jesus as being the most handsome man in a GQ magazine. But I don't. But the, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was not a man that any man would look at to think, wow, what a great man. And I've got to imagine, I don't think the Apostle Paul was a very good-looking man either. In fact, I think some said, well, I'm not going to say that because bald is beautiful. But some say he was bald. But that's okay, right? It doesn't have to have a full head of hair to be a good-looking guy. Right, Scott? Amen. That'll preach, brother. Amen. Yeah. Pass the offering real quick. You might put more in the offering. <laughs> See, but it's not about our outward appearance. The fruit grows from the inside out. It comes from within a man. It comes from within a woman. The fruit comes from within me, not from what I want to be. It is what I am. It is a product of me. Now, this brings up an important point because this means that fruit is able also able to be tested to be tested to make sure it's what it says it is it means that the truth always prevails over the claims of a person if the person isn't claiming to be what they are if a person is claiming to be something it won't be long until the fruit of that person will unveil who the person really is it also means that if a person is claiming to be something then he's giving people the right to examine it. Now I know this gets into the area of judging people. And we're going to talk about judging people here just for a minute as we are talking about the fruit. Because a fruit tree can, is able to be tested to be what the fruit tree is. I'm a, I, I drive school bus. 
and um, we have things called random drug testing. And it, at any given time, you could be called at the end of the day, end of the bus run, to come in. There's a man there that wants to do a drug test. And he wants to have you um, pee in a cup. He might take a hair sample, whatever, but he's going to find out who you really are. Are you a druggie? And here's the beautiful part about being a Christian. I have no fear of that. I have no fear of that. In fact, when he comes, I enjoy when he picks, me, picks my name because we get to talk a little bit. And the last time the guy was there, the guy travels all over the country, and we had a great discussion in the men's room. Because, <laughs> you know, everything is done privately and confidentially and, and whatever. And, uh, and we had a great discussion, and I was able to share why I have no fear because of my faith, you know, and he really appreciated We had a nice time of sharing some fruit together. And, it, and when you have nothing to hide, there's nothing to fear. Well, listen, if I'm a Christian man, if I'm living in the fruit of the Spirit, then let man test me. I don't care. Test me. I'm not going to be perfect, I'll tell you that right now. But I don't care if you want to examine my fruit. In fact, I wish you would. And when we live purely before the Lord like that, it's okay to be tested. But yet, the world has a problem with judging. Why? Because the world that has a problem with judging, you're a compromising poser. And if you're a compromising poser, you don't want to be judged because the real you is going to be found out. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, talks to us about judging. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the plank of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now this is a very popular verse for worldly people to throw at Christian people to say, you have no right to judge me. And in many ways, I don't have a right to judge a worldly person. But if I'm talking to a Christian person that's claiming to be a Christian person, you know what? I have right to judge you. And you have right to judge me. Now, we're going to talk about the word judge in a minute, so don't get hung up on that word. But verse 1 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, if that's where it ended, right there, then I would guess I would have to agree that we're not to judge anybody. If that's all it said, but the scripture goes on. It says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Basically, what goes around comes around. If you're going to judge a person strictly, then you can expect to be judged strictly. At the same time, if you say, well, I'm not going to judge anybody, therefore, I'll never be judged. That doesn't work. God is still going to judge you whether you like it or not. The Bible says it was, it's given for once uh, for a man to die, then after that to judgment. So whether you decide to judge somebody or not is not going to determine if God's going to judge you or not because we're all going to be judged. Now again, I'm going to talk about the word judgment in a minute, so don't hang up on that word. Verse 3 and 4. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Well, that's really true. I mean, if I have this big thing that's blocking my eyesight, how can I ever think that I can have the surgical precision necessary to remove a speck out of somebody else's eye? So, yeah, get, that only makes good common sense. Get the, get the junk out of my eye. 
Take some time, Christian person, to evaluate your own heart. What's your motivation for the judgment? Truly, do you love the person? Or are you looking for a problem to get angry with the person? What's your motivation? Get the junk, get the plank out of my eye. And then the Bible says, so that you can remove the speck. It never, it never says not to. In verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your, of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there we have the responsibility, actually. When I can see clearly, I can see clearly now. But when I can see clearly, I don't know why I did that. When you, when you can see clearly, I can see I have surgical precision that I can take the speck out of a brother's eye or I can help them where they need to be helped. So now let's talk about the word judgment. Maybe a better word here than judgment is discernment or detection or perceiving something or assisting something. Maybe the word judgment is, a too, is too harsh of a word because there is a point. There is a judge that is coming, but it's not me. And it's not you. When I judge a person like that, I'm not judging like God's judging. I'm not judging heaven or hell. Only God is qualified to judge heaven and hell. I'm not judging to death or destruction or to life for that matter. I'm simply discerning what's in the man's heart by his fruit. Now, why is that important? Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Wow. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's giving us the responsibility to recognize and to judge and analyze and discern the fruit of a person. If he's a bad fruit, I don't want to ingest that. If, it's not, if he's not teaching, preaching, living a godly life, I want to be careful. That, just does, that doesn't mean I don't associate with that man. It just means that I be, I'm careful as to what level of influence that he has in my life. Young people, you have friends in the world that are of the world. It's okay. But don't let them influence you to worldly events. Don't let them drag you down to where they go. Rather, you raise them up to where you are. But you can't do that if you have no influence in their life. So this is not in any way saying that we don't have relationship with non-Christians. But when we do, we recognize and we have to be important of who's influencing who. Is the culture influencing the church or is the church influencing the culture? I would say in many cases in this world today, the culture is influencing the church. And we need to stop that. We need to stand up against that. We need to say, no, we're the culture that is supposed to be influencing the world. And we're the ones that have the answer, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. He has the answer. If he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, then I'm not going to get very close to him. I'm not going to allow him to get in and have influence on my life. 
So therefore, I have the responsibility to judge or discern so that I can protect myself and my family and this church and all the influence around that we're a part of. Amen? So judging is not the purpose of killing or destroying. Judging, discerning is the, is the purpose of protection and, and being careful that we're allowing life to flow in us and through us. So that's the importance of why we are to bear fruit, why we are to judge fruit, and that why we are not to be afraid of, pers- of a person coming in and wanting to analyze what's growing on my branches. Amen? So don't get offended. Don't get offended if somebody comes up to you and looks a little bit closely at you because they're only doing something that's protecting them and ultimately for your good too because you might have a speck in your eye and your brother might be able to come along and say, can I take that speck out of your eye? Can I help you with that? I need help with that. I can't see clearly to get my own stuff out sometimes. Sometimes I'm too close to it. Sometimes I need to have somebody come around me and challenge me a little bit. I shouldn't be offended at that. I should be thankful for that. All right, now let's talk about fruit. We talked about love, joy, and peace. Tonight, today we're going to talk about patience and kindness. Patience. Patience. Now, I know you're all impatient with me on this one, but be patient with me, okay? <laughs> be patient. Yet the old saying, it says, patient is a virtue. You know, it really is. Patience is a virtue. Patience is something that we all struggle with, don't we? Yeah, patience. Patience or long sufferance or forbearance, as some translations call it. The Greek word for that is macrothumia. Macrothumia. Macro meaning long or big. Macro is big. Thumia means temper. So when I put this compound word together, it means that I have a long fuse, that I am not short tempered, that I have a long, big, area of absorbing things before I blow up. Do you ever blow up? No. Liar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've seen that blow up before. So literally that means that we are long-fused opposed to a short temper or being quick-tempered. So the fruit of patience helps a person to be able to develop a temperance or a patience without being quick-tempered and hot-headed. It's also being willing to allow God the time and the opportunity to unveil his purposes in our lives without us running ahead of him. How many here are guilty, have been guilty, of being impatient with God and saying, God, you're too slow. I'm running ahead and doing it my way. Amen. I see some people with two hands up. Yeah. It's letting God be God and me be me. Patience is letting God be God, and you and I can just be restful and peaceful in, that, in thinking that, God, you've got this thing, and I'm going to trust you. Now, give me the patience. Help me to be able to have the patience. Understand that, number one, God is patient with us. God is patient with us. What a perfect role model we have to, is to follow God. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 9. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath, For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. (laughs) God has the ability to destroy you and I completely right now at this moment. Do you know that? But God chooses for his own name's sake to delay the wrath. It's his choice. He's patient with you and I. 
Psalm 86, verse 15, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank the Lord that he's slow to anger. Man, because of all the things that I've messed up, if God was quick-tempered and hot-headed, he would have poofed me out of existence a long time ago and probably the rest of you along with me because I'm not the only one here. Thank the Lord. Nahum chapter um, 1, verse 3, The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. See, patience here, patience is not a sign of weakness. God is all-powerful, and he, has, and he has the right because he is the creator. He is the king of kings, lord of lords, and I am the creation. He's the potter, and I'm the clay. And he has every right at any given time to smash me down into a lump of clay again and rebuild me if he wants to. Or just wipe me out of existence. It's his right. But the Lord is slow to anger, and he's great in power. But here, hear this out, because he will not leave the guilty unpunished. There will come a day when every person in this world will be judged and they will be rewarded according to what they have done, good or bad. He will ultimately judge. But patience, patience is his strength. Patience is his virtue. 2 Peter 3, 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. His slowness there is not because he's a lack of judgment or a lack of power, but his slowness is that he wants to give everyone an opportunity to come to repentance. He's not anxious to destroy what he's created. He's not anxious for you to make the choice to go to hell because it is your choice. It's his choice that you would repent and come to Christ. That's his choice. It's, if, you, if you go to hell, it's not God's fault. Just so you know that right now. If you go to hell, don't be mad at God. It's not his fault. He's given you every opportunity. And that's why he's slow in his judgment. is because he wants everyone to have as many opportunities as possible to repent. So what does it mean for us to be patient or long-suffering? From a non-biblical perspective, patience or long-suffering expresses the idea of a person being passive or resigned because of a certain situation maybe being too big or too daunting to be changeable. So they resign or they fall back into themselves and just say, I'm going to be patient with this, maybe even to the point of giving up. There's no hope there. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being patient with things to the point that you just give up because it's too big. Your habits are too strong. The world is too dark. My kids are too far gone. No, you don't give up. That's not being patient there. For the child of God, it's, it's not a matter of just gritting one's teeth and somehow enduring the pain or suffering, hoping that in the end, God will reward you for your great endurance. No, it's not that either. It's not just saying, God, I'm going to be such a tough old geezer here. I'm going, to outwit, I'm going to outpatient you. I'm going to prove how patient I am to you, God. No, that's not it. Rather, it's being patient in the realization that God is in charge and God is in control and that everything he has ordained in my life is working for my good regardless of the situation. No matter how dark 
no matter how painful, no matter how difficult it is, patience is saying, God, I know you are still in control. I know you are still in control. It's hard, God. I'm struggling here. My kids are sick. I'm sick. I don't have a job. People are dying all around me. Whatever it is, God, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. He says, I know it is. I know it is. But what I'm allowing into your life is I want to rough off the edges. I want to come and I want to make some things in your life change a little bit because I want to spend eternity with you and there are some things in your life that aren't quite lining up. Therefore, I have to go through the hard times and it's saying, God, all right, all right, all right, I'm patient. Change me, oh God, change me. Change me. That's the patience we're talking about here. Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things, not some of the things, not some of the things. God works in all things, the good and bad. He can work in the bad things maybe better than the good things. Therefore, I need to thank him for the bad things. I need to thank him, even in the heart of the difficulty of it all. And as we recognize that God is in, God is in charge, that he does have a plan that is bigger than ours, then we can imagine and we can see and we can have the assurance that patience is the virtue in our life that is giving us the hope to get through the problems. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever sows whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary. Here's the, here's the patience. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Did you hear that? Do not become weary in well-doing. Yeah, there's some hard things going on in life right now. But we have, verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity every day, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Treat your brothers in Christ especially well. Yeah. See, macrothumia, or long-suffering, is used in reference to people being patient with people as much as, as it is with circumstances. Because patience with people is a true sign of being Christ-like, as people can be one of the most challenging tests of patience. You want to you have your patience tested? Be a mom, be a dad, be a pastor, be a Sunday school teacher, be a leader of Tabitha's Closet and asking for people to come in and help, be a leader of Play Cafe, be a leader of the nursery and patience with people trying to come in and get people to help you carry the burden. Yeah, I know I'm digging a little deep right now, but that's okay. I'm, I'm good at that. I'm used to it. Because it hits me hurt. It, it hits me too. And I tell you what, folks, if I am not willing to step up and do what needs to be done in my church, that I'm wearing the patience thin of leadership and I'm wearing the patience thin of God our Father. Because we have responsibility to take care of our church, don't we? Amen. According to an article in the Enrichment Journal, 
The author, Paul Lee, says this about patience. Thus, God's patience or slowness in unleashing his wrath is not because of leniency or an unwillingness to act. Rather, his patience is an opportunity for his children to repent and trust the Savior. In his patience, the Father waits, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the Savior and trust him. Scott, that's exactly what we're talking about, Scott, before service, right? If we're praying for our family members and they're getting better all of a sudden, you know, that's awesome. But you know the most important thing in that person's life is salvation. And the reason God makes help and strength in a person's life is, yeah, we want to enjoy a good life, and God wants to give us enjoyment in this life, but most importantly, he wants salvation in our soul. So as you are praying for your children, those that are lost, maybe your family members that aren't saved, aren't serving Jesus right now, trust the Lord with them. Trust his patience in their lives as an opportunity for his children, your children, my children, for the world, of this, the, the world that's lost around us to repent and trust the Savior. That's what it's all about. God's patience is for our well-being. How does this relate to our lives? Well, again, we're to be patient with people. The reason that we're spending so much time talking about the fruit of the Spirit here is that as we live in the world that's fallen around us, if I want to have merit, if I want to have respect, if I want the, the gospel that I'm supposed to be proclaiming to have any teeth to it or any authenticity to it, then I must be mature in my faith. And you must be mature in your faith. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It means, though, that when they see a person that is proclaiming the gospel, they see a person they want to be like, like the example Michael gave us today. If you're not able to show them the love of Christ, if you're not able to show them the joy of the Spirit, if you're not able to show them the uh, peace that people have in a dark world, if you're not able to be patient with them, then how in the world do you expect them to listen to your message and to my message? And we're really belaboring the point here because we're not going to talk about kindness today. We don't have time. We're going to talk about it next week. Jackie, you could come and we could start um, getting ready to wind down here. But here's the point of all of this. Here's the point of all of this. Are we practicing what we've been learning? Are we practicing here? When you go home today, will you and are you practicing loving people? Will you practice that with me? Will you practice living in joy regardless of the circumstances around you? I'm not talking about being happy necessarily because circumstances bring happiness. I'm talking about joy because our, our eyes aren't focused on this world. Our eyes are focused on things above. We're focused on godly things. We're focused in heaven. We're focused on what it's going to require for us to get to heaven and what do we do in the impact or what are we impacting here in the process. That gives me joy. Are you practicing that? Are you practicing living peacefully with people in your lives? Can you practice that in your homes today? Husbands and wives, children, parents, can you practice being peaceful with your people that you have influence over? Recognize that God, the God of peace that lives in your heart and he's in control of everything and we can have peace beyond our own understanding no matter what happens, we can have this peace that surpasses our understanding. This week, will you practice patience? Will you practice patience with people? 
See, it's so important that messages of God's Word are not left in the church. Messages that you pick up in a Sunday school class or you, the, the inspiration you pick up in a worship setting or what you read in your own personal devotions, they're not to stay there. They're to go out into the world. You're to live in it. You're to chew on it. You're to let it dwell in you. You're to soak it in. You're to let it be a part of who you are. It's, it's allowing the fruit to grow from the inside out. So this morning, as we conclude this morning's session on patience, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to give you godly patience. Let God be God in your situation. I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know, but God does. He has every right and all the authority to work in your life if you will allow him to. Let him be God. You be patient. Let him work. Amen. Now, as always, we open the altars for prayer at the end of the service. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a, a, a song that we're just going to praise the Lord one more time. And if you want to pray this morning, the altars are open. If we can pray with you in love, joy, peace, or patience, don't worry about being kind yet. That's next week. You can be unkind this week. No, I'm only kidding. But we've been focusing on love, joy, peace, and patience, all right? If you have any needs there, or if you want to jump a little ahead, that's fine too. But we just want to pray. We want to just encourage you to be godly people today. Amen? Be life changers. Be changers in the world that you're in this morning. And allow God to be God. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. Let's sing.
Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord, and I pray that we would really do what we just said, that we would lay ourselves down this week, that we would lay our own passions down, that we would lay our agendas down, that we would lay our desires down at your feet, and that your desire would rise up within us, Father, that you would be blessed. Lord, bring the fruit in our hearts and our lives. Bring that maturity, I pray, and let people be quick to see that we are godly people full of the Spirit, full of fruit, that we're willing to nourish and reproduce in the name of Jesus, godly people. Thank you for this. Now we ask, go with us throughout this week. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.